Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, isn't it? Having grown up in a certain way or having gotten used to things, being a certain way, we get used to growing up a certain way, things are always happening this way, so whenever there's any change that comes into our lives, it's really uncomfortable. You know, we get used to what's comfortable and change just makes things difficult. I think everybody raises their hands for change, but we tend to not want to change. And uh, we typically avoid what isn't familiar. And we know from the book of Acts, right, before Jesus physically ascended back into heaven, he told his disciples to make disciples of just Israel, right? Just Jews. No? All nations, right? He had a commission, by the way, back in the Gospels for the house of Israel alone to preach the gospel of the kingdom. It was rejected. So we're in a period of postponement until the kingdom comes. But right now, right, the, 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 the commission is to all nations, all nations. And there's only one problem with that, right? Because it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. It's hard to teach these Jewish men. They're all Jews, right? <clears throat> It's hard to teach a bunch of Jewish men reared in Jewish tradition, used to being distinct from the nations, to actually uh, cross some barriers and go to the nations now. You see where we're going today? These men were used to being a distinct nation, and the nations came to them. They were a light on a hill, but now they're being called to go to the nations around them, and that's very uncomfortable for them. That is a big, big change for these Jewish men, okay? The law of Moses told uh, told Israelites, told the Jews, they were to minister to the Gentiles. A Gentile is a non-Jewish person. That's probably all of us, unless you have a little Jewish blood in you or something. I don't know. Uh, We're all Gentiles, They were told to minister to the Gentiles around them by remaining distinct. They had distinct laws. And they would wait for the nations to come to them so they could introduce them to God. But now it's time to be a missionary for the Jewish people, these Jewish disciples, and to to go to the nations. And uh, the various laws of distinction, we're going to look at some today, that kept them separate from the world, like circumcision, and they had dietary laws, right? In the Law of Moses, you can look these up in Leviticus 11, for example. Um, It kept them distinct. And the religious leaders at times went so far, and you notice this in the Gospels, they went so far with the laws of distinction that they would make their own laws. We talked a lot about the Mishnah in the Gospel of Mark that we went through before Acts. So for every law that God had, they had come up with a bunch of human laws 
to keep them from breaking God's law. So God says, don't cross this fence, don't cross this barrier. And they say, okay, great. Well, we're going to put up a fence about 10 feet away from that so that we don't even go near that fence. And so when God said remain distinct from the nations, they went, oh, wow, we're not even going to associate with the nations, basically. And they, were, they, they took the laws of distinctions uh, way too far, more than God intended. And so that's what we're looking at this morning in the book of Acts, this change to actually go now to the Gentiles. The distinctions like the dietary laws are removed in the church age. And it's been a while since the church has been born. In Acts chapter 2, it's actually been years now. From where the church was born in Acts chapter 2 to where we're at in verse nine, or Acts chapter 9. And <clears throat> we've watched the gospel um, advance all throughout the land of Israel. I mean, the, the gospel has been flooded through the land of Israel. And the church, though, is mainly Jewish. And it's still hesitant. They know the command to go to the, nation, the nations, but they're still hesitant to actually go and reach out to their Gentile neighbors. They're kind of like Jonah, right? I don't want to go to Nineveh, you know? I, I don't know. And they're, they're kind of like watching each other, like who's going to reach out to the Gentiles here? You know, so this, the, the gospel has been to the Hellenistic Jews. It's been to the Jews. It's been to the Hellenistic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews were Greek-influenced Jews. They're kind of like a carnal Jew a little bit to them. <coughs> Sorry. It's been to the Samaritans. They were half-Jews. It's been to uh, proselytes like the Ethiopian eunuch. But it has not been to the unclean and untouchable Gentile yet. Gentiles were untouchable. Remember, they wouldn't eat dinner together. And uh, if the church, though, is going to keep growing and the church is going to keep increasing, <coughs> sorry, hope this gets out of the way in the introduction. Um, <coughs> they're going to have to, boy, this is painful to watch, I bet. <coughs> All right. They're going to have to deal with some prejudice, to be honest with you, uh, because God has, in Christ, removed the barrier of hostility <clears throat> between Jew and Gentile. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 talks about, right? But they're still not living like it yet. That, that hasn't sunk into their hearts yet, that the barrier between Jew and Gentile is gone. And so <clears throat> that's what God is going to make clear today. What was needed for this Jewish, mainly Jewish church was a test case. Okay, to <clears throat> deal squarely with the controversial issue <clears throat> and to clearly reveal God's will in the matter. Thanks, Josh. Man. So, <clears throat> God's going to clearly reveal his will in the matter. And uh, this is going to come through visions to Peter and a Gentile named Cornelius. And... Uh, <clears throat> God is going to show them he desires Gentile inclusion and that partiality, favoritism, the prejudice, it has to go. It has no place in the church, amen? Okay, Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he died for all. And so we're going to look today <clears throat> as we go through this passage at five barrier-crossing principles. And uh, the reason for that is because if we're going to cross barriers, we have to cross barriers ourselves today for the sake of the gospel. Because we, believe it or not, and we'll talk more about this next week, we have, we have prejudices ourselves, 
right? There's, there's people we tend to avoid, things like that. Uh, we tend to not reach out to. And uh, so we're going to look at some barrier crossing principles for ourselves. Um, let's look at uh, verse 32. <clears throat> I'm tempted to have somebody else read that. But uh, now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, and uh, that goes back to verse 31, Galilee, Galilee, Samaria, Judea, the land of Israel. Uh, that's all right. I'm gonna, it needs to get out. I need to work through this. Um, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And uh, there he found an, a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all who lived in, in Lydda and, and Sharon saw him, <clears throat> and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. And uh, this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And since Leto was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose, and he went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the, showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. <clears throat> and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Look at that. Many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So first thing we see here is Peter's ministry tour. His ministry tour, he's traveling throughout the land of Israel, and he's preaching and visiting different groups of believers. And it's been a while, hasn't it, since we've ran into Peter. Um, the storyline has been shifting back and forth. We went to, we looked at Stephen and uh, Philip and Paul and Ananias, and now Peter again. And uh, God is divinely directing the Apostle Peter. It's very clear throughout Acts chapter nine and ten. But He's also been directing all these other guys, right? Uh, some of them they aren't apostles necessarily. I wouldn't call them apostles. Um, <clears throat> and I, I like this thought because it shows us that God doesn't just use the clergy. <laughs> he doesn't just use the clergy. He's not just working through the apostles. The mission's not limited to the apostles. The mission is for all believers. He desires to use all believers in his mission. And, and that's, that's his plan. Uh, that's, that's a good principle for us, I think, to take from this, is that Jesus desires to use all believers in his mission. That's a barrier-crossing principle because that's been a huge barrier throughout the centuries, uh, specifically for about, what was it, 1,400 years or something like that, over 1,000 years. The church lived with the idea that it was the priest's job to do the ministry. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 says we're all ministers. I'm basically, you could call me the equipper. You guys are the ministers. And, and Peter says, all believers, we're a kingdom of what? Priests. 
We're all priests now. And so um, all believers are priests who have been uniquely given spiritual gifts and talents and resources to be on mission. And uh, it certainly helps, though, to be available and to be looking for the Lord to use us like Peter was. And that's what Peter was doing. He was on the move preaching Christ. He's sensitive to the Spirit. He's traveling, you know, following the Spirit's lead. And he met up with some saints in Lida, also called Lod. And how many of you have been here? You've probably been there, haven't you? Isn't this where you fly in when you go into Jerusalem or Israel? You had a teaching job there. Oh, wow. See, isn't that cool? You go to Israel, you'll probably fly in to this very place. It's about 25 uh, miles northwest of Jerusalem. And uh, this was a predominantly Jewish town. And I want you to take note of that because we're going to go to three different cities today. And each one is increasingly Gentile. So it goes from predominantly Jewish to increasingly Gentile. That's flowing with the progress of the book of Acts and the narrative where we're going. So he finds a man there named Aeneas, and uh, <clears throat> he's been bedridden for eight years, and he's healed in Christ's name. And so the man makes his bed for the first time in eight years. How about that? That's supposed to laugh, right? You thought your kids were bad. This guy just made his bed for the first time in eight years. That had to feel pretty good to be able to make a, your own bed after laying in it for eight years. And so um, Peter's words, though, Jesus Christ heals you. This is neat. This reaffirms for us the centrality of Jesus in the mission and what we're called to proclaim. Okay, He doesn't say, I, Peter the Great, heal you. Wouldn't that be something? I, Peter, the first pope, heal you. He doesn't say that. He says, Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't draw attention to himself. He doesn't draw attention to the miracle. He draws attention to Christ, and that's what it's all about. And so that reaffirms for us our take on the title of the book of Acts is that Acts is the continuing work of Jesus Christ through his people. He has ascended, yes, but he's still at work by the Spirit in his people. Jesus is the healer, not Peter, amen? Jesus has ascended, yes, but he's still at work. And the power to restore this man flows from Jesus Christ as Peter depends on him. So um, the point here is not teaching us God's going to heal in every situation or he's going to raise every single person from the dead who, who dies. Well, he is. Well, he is eventually, right? But, you know, your loved one dies. He's, it's not a promise that he's going to raise them from the dead when you want to, when you, if you want them to. The, the whole point, guys, was to draw people to the saving message of the gospel. You see that? The news spread, and what happened? Many people turned to the Lord. At the end of each of these miracles, many people turned to the Lord. People turned to the Lord. And that was the whole point, to draw people to the gospel where they find spiritual healing that they need more than physical healing. You can be healed physically, guess what? Still going to die unless the Lord tarries. What we need more is the spiritual healing. And that's what you see here. People become to know Christ as their Savior. Peter is a good example for us. He focused on Christ. And, you know, there's just a principle there where, where we want to keep the focus on Jesus, un- avoiding 
you know, unnecessary barriers that could hinder people from coming to know Christ. There's a lot, a lot of things out there we get distracted on, you know, in your conversations with people. And, you know, just try to, try to bring it back to Christ, you know, and the Lord help us discern, right, what those are in our conversations with people. Uh, Because it's going to vary from person to person. Anyway, some of the disciples from a nearby town called Joppa send two men to have him come and, and, and uh, try and do something for this beloved woman named Tabitha. And uh, Joppa, also called Jaffa, this is a little further northwest, um, 12 miles northwest of where he was. So we're out now by the <clears throat> on, the, on the coast there, the Tel Aviv area. Um, and uh, this is a far more Gentile, Hellenistic place. And uh, again, we're just moving increasingly Gentile. And Tabitha is an Aramaic... Aramaic name that means uh, gazelle, and in Dor- Dorcas is basically what it uh, is in Greek. It's kind of like Saul, Hebrew, Paul, Greek, right? So um, I don't know about you, but I think I'd rather go by the name Tabitha in English. I don't know, Dorcas, just kind of too close to something else, another word. <laughs> but uh, this beloved woman who was called the disciple, was known for what? Her continual deeds of kindness and charity. Isn't that great? That's what she's known for. And they're showing, they're showing Peter when he shows up all these different things that she had made. And it's amazing. I, I did a devotional on her this week talking about how we need more uh, tender-hearted Tabithas who are zealous for good deeds. She's someone, guys, that you could name your kids after. I think she's that type of person. And the folks cherished her so much that when she died of a sickness, uh, they prepared her for burial, you know, and, 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 but they didn't actually bury her. They, and that was custom is to bury immediately, like that day. But they prepared her for burial and they didn't bury her. They actually took her to an upper room where people normally eat. So that's, that's kind of weird, isn't it? And uh, <clears throat> they, 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 went, they heard Peter was in the area. And so they, they called on Peter and said, what, why not see if Peter can do something? So Peter comes and he, he rises, raises her from the dead. And the account is, did it remind you of anything, this account? It reminded you of when Jesus healed a little girl, right? And you know what Jesus did when he healed her? I think it was Jairus' daughter. I don't know. Um, he sends everybody out of the room, just like Peter, except for Peter, James, and John. And, and he prays, and he, he says, little girl, arise. Talitha kum. Well, basically, you only have one letter of difference here, don't you? Tabitha kum, arise. Instead of little girl, arise, it's Tabitha, arise. I mean, the parallels here are just so striking. There's, there's no doubt that Luke intended for this to be a parable, an extension of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is still at work. That's the point that's being emphasized. And knowing that Jesus is still at work in Peter, who is a qualified leader, prepares us, and he's been given the keys of the church, right? He's going to open the door for the Gentiles. That's what that's preparing us for. God is at work. Jesus is at work in Peter, a qualified leader, and he's the one who's going to um, <clears throat> be given this vision that uh, God has accepted even the unclean Gentiles. And this, guys, is one of the greatest revelations in all of biblical history. This is one of the biggest landmark moments in all 
of the Bible. That's how important this is. And then there's a little descriptive detail we don't want to pass over about uh, Peter staying in a house with a guy named Simon, a tanner. And uh, that prepares us for the uncleanness of the Gentiles because um, tanners often worked with unclean animals. Uh, And so ceremonially unclean animals according to the law. And so Peter's likely already unclean for being around a dead person, and now he's surrounded by unclean animals, and God is directing him through it. God directed him there around this uncleanness. And so he's already had to cross some uncomfortable barriers, but he's still reluctant to reach out to Gentiles, full Gentiles. Look at this, uh, chapter 10, verse 1. There was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. And a man, <clears throat> a devout man, and one who feared God, he was a God-fearer with all his household, and many alms, he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so here we see uh, Cornelius's vision. Cornelius lives in Caesarea, which is just a little farther north of Joppa there. And uh, this, had a, this place was... Basically, a Roman city. It had a heavy Gentile Roman presence. This is the city that Herod wanted to stay at. It's the city Herod built up. Uh, he had a temple built to Caesar here. It was named after Caesar Augustus. This was the provincial capital for Rome in the land of Israel. It was the seat of Roman administration in Israel. And so this city basically represented to the Jew everything that was wrong with Israel, which was what? Gentile occupation and Roman dominance. And so the, the faithful Jew who, who's felt oppressed by, by Rome and fed up with the Romans, they would not be caught dead entering this city, let alone actually entering a Gentile's house uh, like Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. And a Roman centurion was like a military leader. He's a commander of Roman troops. A centurion would have been over 100 men in the Roman army, maybe 100 men in a cohort of 600 men. And so Jews especially hated guys like Cornelius. And so, you know, Peter's been oppressed by these Romans for so long. This is his opportunity to oppress them back, isn't it? Right? Oppressor, oppressor. Since we're talking about that and Marxism so much these days, this is his opportunity for the oppressed to become the oppressor. What's he do, though? He doesn't start oppressing Cornelius, does he? And, you know, if you've, if you've read through the gospel accounts, uh, your heart is prepared for this centurion, I think, to, to be saved and to receive Christ. Because there's two men in the gospel accounts uh, who were centurions, who had great faith. And one of them 
came to Jesus who had a servant uh, who was sick, or and, and and he basically he he comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his servant, and Jesus says, "Okay, I'll go with you." And he's like, "No, you don't need to come with me. Just heal him <laughs> from a distance." And Jesus says, "Whoa, nobody in Israel has had as much faith as this guy right here, a centurion." Jesus is still healing people from a distance, right? He's in heaven. Um, the second one is the centurion on the cross that cries out, surely, he sees the way that Jesus died and he, on the cross, and he says, surely this was the Son of God. This is the sinless one. And so uh, similar to these two, Cornelius is what Luke calls a God-fearer. And that, to me, seems like a technical term uh, to refer to someone who is sympathetic towards Judaism, but they're not a full convert. So he's not circumcised, not baptized, and he's severely limited in his approach to, ability to approach God in Jewish worship. You know, and, and chapter 11, 14 even says, he's still not saved. This guy is still not saved. And so uh, that brings up a good point for us. <clears throat> All believers must believe the gospel for salvation. You know, someone can be very religious. Religion is a huge barrier to people coming to know Christ because we, we think, you know, I'm just going to give a bunch of money, I'm going to pray, I'm going to do religious things. But this account, and we think we're good to go, right? But this account drives the point home that uh, religion ain't going to save you. You know, trying to be a real good person and trying to do your good deed for the day and give money to a church, that ain't going to save you. You have to believe in Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who can tear down this barrier of sin between you and God. Isn't that a good picture up there? Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross is the only thing that breaks through that sin barrier. He takes your sin upon himself and gives you his righteousness, places upon you his righteousness positionally so that man can be reconciled. To God. That right there is the message we need to take home today. Uh, one must place their trust in Jesus Christ for the barrier of their sins between them and God to be removed. If you haven't done that and you're here today and maybe you've been thinking about Jesus for a while but you haven't actually trusted in him, I would invite you to do that even right here and right now, in your heart of hearts, just pray and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's something not right between me and you. But I believe Jesus died for me. And I want to trust in him as my Savior and say, Lord, help me to learn to walk with you by your grace. You're saved by grace. You walk by grace. And, uh, man, if you're here today and you pray that prayer, you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, come talk to me afterwards. I'll get a book in your hands that will really help you start to grow in your spiritual walk. It's called I'm Saved. Now What? by Dennis Roxer. Okay, I'll get you that book for free. Just come see me. Or if you want more information on how to be saved. Um, <clears throat> anyway, this thought that, uh, you know, we all have to believe in the gospel for salvation should cause some of us to think about unreached people out there who don't have the gospel, right? We don't like to think about that a lot. But we do need... In the church, more men and women, more harvesters, more missionaries who are willing to lay down their lives and to cross over 
into different countries, different cultures, different, right, cross over some different ethnic lines and take the gospel of people who don't have it and to establish churches. And that should be one of our prayers as a church is for God to raise up harvesters, missionaries, who will go to some of these unreached people groups. That's why I put an unreached people group in your bulletin just about every week on the prayer list. There's people out there who don't have a Bible still, tribes, and that's what Josh Kuhn's going after, right? One of our missionaries. Tribes that don't have a Bible yet. And so let's pray for harvesters. This count, though, is pretty neat because it proves God will also go to incredible lengths to get the gospel to someone who is seeking him, like Cornelius. But how does he do it? He does it through a believer. Did you notice the angel that visits Cornelius has to go and get Peter to bring Peter to him? Why didn't the angel just preach the gospel to him? Because that's the task God has given to us. We're the ones called to go. We're the ones called to go. And so... There's another neat point here. Cornelius' prayers and alms, did you notice they're said to have been, uh, they're said to have ascended as a memorial before God. And the language is reminiscent of temple, temple sacrifices. Uh, it's like a soothing aroma. And so, uh, here is a Gentile man, uh, outside of the temple offering sacrifices to God, and God responds to them by granting him more revelation. Isn't that cool? Um, he does what the angel says, and he sends men to Joppa to get Peter. And so, meanwhile, God is going to direct Peter to receive these two men. It says in verse 9, On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by the four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But, you know, typical stubborn Peter says, By no means, Lord. I, God, it's typical for Peter to say no to the Lord. I won't change, Lord. No, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. And so we see next Peter's vision in the outline. Peter's vision about noon, the day after Cornelius sends his men to get Peter, Peter goes up on the roof to relax, and that's a typical place to relax on, on the kind of, with the kind of homes that they have. And the roof Peter was on, I like to think, probably had some type of awning, uh, made out of a sheet, which is pretty typical. But as he's waiting for the meal to be prepared, he's he falls into this trance, basically, and he sees a sheet full of all kinds of animals and birds and insects being lowered down from 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 above. And and the voice says, "Get up, Peter, kill and eat." And you think he'd be all excited, right? There's probably a pig in that blanket, I'm guessing, or in that sheet, right? He's, Man, I can eat bacon. I can go to that. Korean men's breakfast. You know, I can go hunting. I can go hog hunting or something. I don't know. Uh, I'd be pretty excited. But instead, Peter is a good kosher Jew, right? So he's always lived by the distinctions in the law. And he says, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Okay? In the law of Moses, there was like, oh, there were several animals off limits to the Jewish people. Like, uh, you know, fish without scales. Um, you couldn't eat buzzards, 
you know, eagles and buzzards and things like that, thank God. Um, <laughs> uh, you couldn't eat camels, you couldn't eat pork. And so basically the purpose of these distinctions was to teach them that they need to be distinct. They were to be a distinct nation. They were to do things differently. God is holy, and he says at the end of that chapter, Leviticus 11, you were to be holy. Because I am holy, so you should be holy. And so they kept these laws kept them distinct from the nations as a chosen people. And uh, some of the laws were no doubt just for flat-out health reasons, right? Uh, when Christ came, though, he fulfilled the law, and we're not under it as a church. And, and uh, in Peter's typical fashion, though, he says, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to change. Which is kind of funny. It's kind of an oxymoron, right? No, Lord. Right? So... It doesn't make sense, does it? So Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So whenever I disobey God or something, I find myself, you know, like I had a walk, had a touch with God, had a fellowship or something. I'm, I like to call him my father at that point because I'm still in the family, you know. <laughs> I don't know, I just tend to do that. Uh, father, you know. <laughs> anyway, but God replies, uh, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And that is repeated three times to get it through Peter's coconut of a head. He's really hard-headed, right? And we see that throughout the Gospels. He's a hard-headed dude, and the repetition from the Lord, three times it's funny, right? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. Get up, kill, and eat. Get up, kill, and eat. Get up, kill, and eat. So it's, it's the repetition signifies God is determined about this, and uh, it's time to pay attention. Uh, this vision is actually going to re be repeated as well in the book of Acts. But uh, there's another great principle for us as believers here. And uh, it's this. Uh, we should surrender our will to his will. Because, you know, one of the greatest barriers, why we don't get more involved in his mission is because of our own stubborn wills. Right? We, we could be just as hard-headed and hard-hearted as Peter. And we say, Lord, not today. Not today. Maybe someday I'll surrender my life to you or something like that, but not today. But I think every believer needs to have that one moment where they come to the Lord and they say, you know, today's the day. I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm done. I'm done messing around. I'm going to get into your word. I'm going to let it penetrate my heart. And I'm going to let it change my life. And you know, that's... They're, that's a Romans 12, 1 and 2 type of moment. You know, it's, what does Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? Anybody? In view of God's mercy, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of the, because of the grace and the mercy you've received in Christ, he says, present now your body as a holy and living sacrifice. Acceptable to God. That's your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to the image of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I think everybody needs to have a Romans 12 moment in their lives. They say, you know what, Lord, I'm yours. I'm done doing things my way. It obviously doesn't work. I'm ready to do things your way. And that's something we got to do every day anyway, isn't it? Today I'm going to surrender my life to the Lord. This isn't just about me. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Therefore, I'm going to honor and glorify God in my body. So, um, surrender. 
Ultimately, though, uh, this isn't just about Peter changing his diet. This is about changing his heart for the Gentiles. God is showing Peter how fellowship, even table fellowship with Gentiles is now acceptable. But he's still processing this. So look at verse 17. While Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision uh, which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether uh, Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, he's chewing it over, right, mulling it over in his mind, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings. Basically, go without a doubt, for I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. What's the reason for which you've come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed, divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And so he invited them in and gave them lodging. And the next day he got up and he went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And so God is divinely directing Cornelius and Peter Did you catch that? And he's making it indisputable to all of us and all of us today who are reading it. This is indisputable. And Peter goes with these men to Caesarea the next day. And verse 24 continues, On the following day, he entered enemy territory. It doesn't say that, does it? That's basically what it had to be like for him. He was entering enemy territory. He's probably looking around you know, for other Jews, like, does anybody see me? I'm actually entering into this forbidden place. He, he entered Caesarea, and so now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. So, isn't that good? God alone deserves our veneration like that. Not men, not angels. And so as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. And that is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. Now, I want to read one more verse, verse 34. We'll get to it next week. But I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. God is just. So, that's, that's where we're going to pause and continue the rest of the story next week. But <clears throat> Peter's coming now to understand that God's plan in choosing Abraham and his descendants, the Israelites, this has always been to reach the nations with the truth, both of who he is and of who we are. That's what the law revealed, how holy God is and how sinful we are. And we can't measure up. Right? There is a barrier between us and God. We deserve as sinners to be separated from Him forever. No man deserves to be able to enter the Holy of Holies. And yet, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, God Himself, became a man and He entered into our world, walked in our shoes never sinned once, and died for sins, even though he didn't deserve it. He died for all men, so that 
all men could be reconciled to him the same way, and that's through Jesus Christ. The condition, though, is that you have to believe. He loved the world, but you have to believe in his son. So while not even the best Jew could perfectly keep God's Ten Commandments, not even the whole law, just the Ten Commandments, every man covets, right? So you can't get to heaven by keeping the commands, not even the Ten Commandments, because you're all a bunch of coveters. I am too, okay? Not even the best Jew could keep those ten. However, God became a man and kept it himself, and he fulfilled God's holy demands. And now he offers all men forgiveness and a righteous standing before God through faith in Christ. His holiness has been appeased. His, his justice has been appeased. His wrath has been satisfied in Christ for those who believe. That's good news, isn't it? This is what Peter's learning. The gospel is for everyone. And the condition is faith in his son, trusting in what Jesus did, not in what you do. That's the primary message we need to take home from today, for today. I said that once already, but here it is again. The gospel is for everyone, Jew and Gentile, and that means you. And so if that's true, our application is that we should seek to share the gospel with everyone and be willing to cross barriers to get that message to them. Amen. Somebody give me an amen. Somebody be a Baptist. Amen. Okay. The gospel is, if it's for the nations, it's for the nations. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what continent they're on. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what their gender is. And there's only two, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> it doesn't matter what their culture's like. Jesus died for them. Jesus died for them. And he has good news for them. And so what matters is whether or not they know Christ. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, I know you guys are hungry, but 2 Corinthians 5, we don't judge men according to the flesh anymore. We recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's what matters. It's whether or not someone is in Christ or not, whether they've been born again or not, whether they're going to go to heaven or not. Who cares what the color of their skin is? Who cares what they do? Who cares where they're from? God shows no favoritism. And that means we shouldn't either. I think the problem, though, is that, uh, you know, <clears throat> It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. It's hard for us, even us, right? We know this truth, but it's still hard for us, isn't it? To leave that which is familiar. It's hard for us to leave our comfort zones. A lot of you guys probably grew up very conservative. And, uh, you know, it's hard for you to be around people who aren't like you. Maybe, you know, their, their hair actually touches their ears or they have tattoos, right? Just picking on old school fundamentalism here. Um. It's hard, right, to be around people. We typically associate with people that we're like or have similar interests. Nothing is more telling than a high school lunchroom. Okay, the jocks are over here looking down on the skaters here, and the skaters are over there looking, at, looking down on the nerds, right, the bookworms. We tend to, like, sit with people who we're most like. And so our challenge today is to, like, 
sit at a different lunch table. Invite someone over to your house who's not like you, maybe. Someone that you're typically really uncomfortable around. We've got to cross some barriers. We need more uh, Tabithas, I think, who will self-sacrificially give of their time and energy to reach out to people and show people the love of Christ. It's a broken and needy and fallen world, and we've got to think more like missionaries, even in Chadron, Nebraska, especially in a culture like ours that we're living in. We've got to be willing to get our hands dirty, like Peter, so that hearts can become clean in Christ. And that's our challenge. And uh, if you want to know what your barriers are, just ask yourself this question. I've been asking myself this question this week, and uh, I was walking through Walmart, and it became very clear to me what my barriers typically are. Okay, ask yourself this question. Who do I normally consider unclean that God might want me to reach out to? What kind of people do I typically avoid? Who do I look away from? So prayerfully start crossing some of those boundaries. Maybe it's a a conversation. Maybe it's just having a conversation with someone. Maybe it's uh, having them over for dinner. Maybe it's just starting a relationship with them. But uh, that's a good place to start. Thank you.